I hope that by the time you're listening and watching this shir, we're in Yerushalayim with the third Beis HaMikdash. I hope Mashiach has already come and the Jewish people have experienced the great Geula HaMittis Vashlema Alidei Mashiach Tzidkenu, the final Geula. In the event that Chas Vashalom Mashiach does not come before Tishabov, we are restricted by the Chachomim, by Halacha, with regard to what specifically we actually were allowed to learn on Tishabov. Most sections of Torah are forbidden to us to even study over the course of Tishabov. The reason for this, Chazal tell us, is because studying Torah makes us happy. And happiness, of course, is forbidden on Tishabov until the coming of Mashiach. And so, save a very few uh, limited sections of Torah that speak about the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash or the laws of Avelis or the Midrashim that are involved in this, the rest of Torah is forbidden to us. One of those sections in Torah that are specifically articulated by Halacha that we do learn over the course of Tishabov, and that is permitted to us, those few pages in Mesech de Gitin, in a parak called Perak Hanizokin, that tell the stories actually that surround the time of the destruction specifically of the second Beis HaMikdash. In one of the most famous stories um, that took place right before the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash, the Gemara in Gitin Dafnon Vav Amd Beis tells a story about Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. The context of the story, very famous, is that at the time there was conflict, of course, among the Jewish people with regard to how to deal with the siege that had been laid, that had been set up around the city of Yerushalayim under the direction of a Roman general. The Gemara refers to him as Aspasionus, or in English, the famous Vespasian, who laid a siege on Yerushalayim for three years. The Jews were split, the Jews were divided as to how to deal with this siege. The Biryoni, translated, uh, that's a Talmudic term, the Biryoni, translated usually as the thugs, the wild ones among the Jews, they felt that the Romans have to be met with brute force. They said the Romans will cave if we fight hard enough and long enough. And the Biryoni wanted to motivate the Jews to fight with the Romans. In fact, the storehouses that the Jewish people had with food and, and, and provisions that would have lasted them, the Gemara says, for 20 years under siege, the Biryoni burned them all down in an effort to motivate and force the Jews to go out to war. The Biryoni were prepared to kill any Jew who was ready to go out and talk peace and talk some kind of, some kind of compromise or, or, um, or, to, or some type of giving in to the Romans. The Chachomim, the Chachmei Yisrael, the Chachomim of the time, the Chachmei Amishnah, were opposed to the Biryonim. They believed that the Romans should not be fought with. They believed that the time had come for the Jews to basically do their best and strike some kind of deal or basically resign themselves to one degree or another to their own fate and not fight with the Romans. The Gemara says that the leader of the Biryoni, the head of all of the thugs, was actually the nephew of the leader of the Jewish people at the time, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai met with his own nephew in private. They had a secret meeting, during which many things were discussed. Among them, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai said, I, I would like to go and meet with Vespasian himself. The, the, his own nephew, the head of the Biryonim, knew that the Biryonim did not allow anybody to even, any Jew to even leave the city of Yerushalayim for fear, excuse me, that this Jew was headed to go and talk peace with the Romans. The Biryoni allowed no Jew, no Jew to leave Yerushalayim. 
And so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai asked his nephew to facilitate his, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's exodus from the city of Yerushalayim so he could go meet and talk with Vespasian. In a process that the Gemara describes in great detail and I don't want to get into right now, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and his nephew worked together to literally smuggle Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai out of the city of Yerushalayim past the Biryoni, past these, these Jewish thugs. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is granted an audience with Vespasian himself. The Gemara says, the Gemara says that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, as soon as he, as he was standing in front of Vespasian, immediately greeted him with the words, Sholom Aleichem Melech, peace upon you, king, peace upon you, king. Vespasian, who, has the, who is at the time not the Caesar, he's not the emperor of Rome, he's just the head of the army, just the head of this division of the army, is infuriated by the fact that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is referring to him as the emperor. He tells Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, you get capital punishment for this. Either way, you get capital punishment. If I am the king, if I'm not the king and you're referring to me as king, that's treason, you should be killed for that. If I am the king, he says to Rabbi Yochanan, where have you been, on, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, where have you been until now? Be it as it may, a conversation ensues between Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai and Vespasian, in which Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai informs Vespasian in no uncertain terms that he is going to be appointed the emperor of Rome. Sure enough, says the Gemara, while they're in the middle of this conversation, a message arrives from Rome and informs Vespasian that the Caesar at the time, the Caesar before Vespasian, who I believe was Hadrian, has died, and Vespasian's been voted in by the Roman cabinet as the new emperor, exactly as Rabbi Yochanan had foretold. Vespasian was impressed. And then in typical Talmudic style, the Gemara says that when Vespasian got this news, while he was in the middle of talking to Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, he was in the middle of putting on his shoes. That's the Gemara's way of telling a story. He was in the middle of putting on his shoes. One shoe was on, one shoe was off. And he couldn't put the other shoe on. All of a sudden, the shoe didn't fit. And he couldn't take the shoe that was already on off. So he turns to Rabbi Yochum and Zakkai and says, What's this? What's going on? My shoes don't fit all of a sudden. Rabbi Yochum and Zakkai quoted a posuk, Shmua toivot edashen otzem, good news, make a man's bones swell. Rabbi Yochum Zakkai says to him, you've received good news, your bones have swelled, that's why the shoe that's on is too tight to be removed, and the other shoe cannot be put on, it's too small. This is what's going on. All right, says, Rabbi, all right, says Vespasian to Rabbi Yochum Zakkai, you're so smart, what do I do about that? What do I do now, right? Can't go around the rest of my life with one shoe on and one shoe off. No problem, says Rabbi Yochum Zakkai. Have somebody who irritates you, have an enemy of yours, have, have a person you despise, right? People in positions of leadership are usually not short in those. Have somebody who, who rubs you the wrong way, walk by here in front of you, and the impact of the good news on your bones will retract, your bones will, will retreat, and the shoes will fit. And they bring somebody who irritates him, and his bones retreat, and, and all of a sudden the shoes fit, and Vespasian is really taken by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. All right. Punchline, says the Gemara. Vespasian tells Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, I'm clearly impressed with you. You told me I would become king, and I became king. You told me why my, my feet swelled, and that turns out to be right. You told me what to do about it. You're clearly a man of God and a man of the world. Vespasian is wowed by Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai. Amazing. All right, he says to him. 
Vespasian says, but I cannot stay here anymore. I've got to go back to Rome. I'm now the emperor. I'm going to send someone else to finish the job, to take over, from where, where, from, to take over my post. Excuse me. But before I go, open your hearts, my friend. Before I go, says Vespasian, the emperor of Rome, to Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai, before the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. I'm so taken by you, you can ask me for anything. And I'll do my best to grant it. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai made at the time three famous requests. Ten liyavne v'chachomeho, says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, spare the city of Yavne and its yeshiva, where the chachomim sit and study Torah. Spare the family of Rabban Gamliel, the descendants of Dovid HaMelech, so that the royal family of Dovid HaMelech can have a continuation. And a doctor to heal Rabbi Tzodok, who had fasted excessively so that the, the second base of Mikdash not be destroyed. Vespasian promises to grant Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's wishes. He departs back to Rome. He dispatches Titus, Horosha. And Titus destroyed the base of Mikdash, massacred hundreds of thousands, a million, some historians put it at a million and a half Jews, and put us into the miserable Golas that we're still in till today. As far as this Dvar Torah is concerned, we're going we're gonna, to, this is the end of the part of the story I'd like to quote. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Akiva became aware of this conversation between Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and Vespasian. And Rabbi, Yoich, and Rabbi Akiva quoted a posuk. It's a posuk from Yeshaya Hanovi. When the Jewish people sin and the Rabbi Nishloilam punishes us, may Hashem protect us, then the Rabbi Nishloilam makes Meshiv Chachomim Daitom Ochar, the Rabbi Nishloilam makes the wisdom of people turn on its head. Vedaitom Yesachel and their minds, their, their intellect turns into foolishness. Says Rabbi Akiva, I don't understand. Vespasian himself, now the emperor, the most powerful man in the world at the time from a military perspective, turns to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the leader of the Jewish people, and says, ask me for anything, I'm so impressed with you and I'll give it to you. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai should have said without a... He should have been on the tip of his tongue. He should have said to Vespasian, you're asking me for whatever I want. Do me a favor. Leave us alone. Go back to Rome. Don't destroy the base of Mikdash. Don't massacre Rahman al-Islam, a million and a half Jews. Don't put us into Golas for 2,000 years. You're telling me I can have whatever I want. Leave us alone. Go away. Instead, says Rabbi Akiva, I cannot understand this. He starts to talk about a doctor for Rabbi Tzaddik and spare the family of Rabbi Gamliel and a yeshiva called Yavan and Tzambidei Chachomim. How could Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai miss, says Rabbi Akiva, an opportunity like this? Talk about an epic opportunity to change the course of all of Jewish history. Rabbi Nishaloylam. Why did Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai not ask Vespasian to spare the Beis HaMikdash and the Jewish people, not put us into Golas? Ah, says Rabbi Akiva, there's no other explanation. Other than the Rabbi Yochanan made Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's mind, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Meishiv Chachom, Meishiv Chachom im Ocher, turned his head around. The Daitum Yasachal in his mind, Sachal means foolishness. Who talks that way? 
No other explanation, says Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai disagreed. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai felt that if he asked Vespasian to spare the Beis Amikdash and the Jewish people, nothing would have been left. Vespasian would not have granted the wish and he would have lost the opportunity and, and he would have gotten nothing. Rabbi Yochanan felt this is what he could do. What an argument between Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says this was an opportunity to save Klal Yisrael, to save the Beis Amikdash, to avoid Golos. Everything could have been saved. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, no, nothing could have been saved. A yeshiva, that's all we can get. One family, a royal family, and a doctor for Rabbi Zadok. All right. This is the Gemara in Masech the Gitin, very famous. In a sefer I have in Pirkei Ovis, called Lev Ovis, by Rabbi Yaakov Heber, a rov in a shul in Beit Shemesh, he makes a fascinating observation. He writes that actually this machloikas, if you will, this, well, not a machloikas, this, this rift between Jews, where some Jews want to fight with their enemies, and some Jews want to give in, there's precedence for this. He brings a Gomorrah in Masech the Sanhedrin, Tafchavov Amadbeis, Excuse me, Tafchavavam and Aleph. The Gemara says in Masech the Sanhedrin, and in the times of the first Beis Hamikdash, a king called Sancheirev, Sancheirev Melech Asher, Sancheirev the king of Assyria, surrounds Yerushalayim with 185,000 soldiers. Chizkiyohu, the king at the time, was of the opinion that he should not give in. He was of the opinion that he should stand firm and fight for the sake of saving Yerushalayim and the Beis HaMikdash. But, says the Gemara, Chizkiyohu had in his cabinet, he had in his government, his chief of staff was a man named Shevna. And Shevna was a great and powerful, charismatic and learned leader. When Chizkiyohu taught Torah, says the Gemara, 110,000 Jews would stand around and listen, and listen to him teach. When Shevna taught Torah, 130,000 Jews would come to hear Shevna teach. Shevna was of the opinion that the Jews should resign their fate to Sancheirev and that they should not fight. And as Sancheirev laid siege over the city of Yerushalayim, again, we're going back now to the time before the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash. As Sancheirev is there around the city of Yerushalayim with his army, Sancheirev Melech Ashur, Shevna sends a message to Sancheirev. And the Gemara even, this is amazing, the Gemara even explains how he sent this message. How did he do it? He took a note, he took a piece of paper and he wrote a message on it. He tied it to the end of an arrow and he shot the arrow over the city of Yerushalayim so that it would reach the army that was threatening the city of Yerushalayim. And the note read, I am Shevna, member of cabinet of Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda. Me and my men, me and my followers would like to resign our fate to you, Sancheirev. Chizkiyohu and his men do not want to, do not want to resign themselves to you. But you should know, he writes to Sancheirev, we're the majority. And we believe that you'll win. We, that is. Shevna and his men believe that you, Sancheirev, will win. And he sends this message 
to Sancheirev over the wall. So confident is he, says the Gemara, that Sancheirev is going to win, that Sancheirev is going to kill Chizkiyahu and all of his men and save Shevna and his men, and that Shevna would be the next king over the Jewish people, empowered by Sancheirev, that he went, says that, that Shevna went, says the Gemara, to the, ca- to the cave where David Amelech is buried and marked for himself a grave where he would be buried one day as one of the kings of, 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 of the Eden, of, of the Jewish people, in the same cave as David Amelech. That's how confident he was that he would win. Chizkiyohu is aware of all of this. Chizkiyohu is a big tzaddik, he's a great Talmud Chochem. Chizkiyohu, the Gomorrah says in Sanhedrin, wonders to himself, if Shevno has the majority, don't we know from the Torah that the Rabbi Shalom sides with the majority? He had a moment of indecision, Chizkiyohu, as he sees more Jews siding with Shevno than with him, he has a moment of weakness. And he starts to think to himself, maybe I should go along with the majority. After all, the Rabbi Nishlelem says, whenever there's an argument, the goes by the majority. And it is at this point, in his moment of weakness, that the Torah tells, that the Novi says that famous, that famous episode, where Chizkiyohu himself removes the doors of the Beis HaMikdosh and sends them to Sancheirev as a gift, as a treaty, as a peace-offering gift, to somehow make peace with him. Chizkiyohu is rebuked by the Novi of the time, Yeshaya Hanovi, who was actually Chizkiyohu's father-in-law. He's rebuked by Yeshayo and he says, this is not the will of Hashem. Hashem wants you to fight and not to give in. Don't succumb to this, he tells Chizkiyohu. And so it is that Chizkiyohu is put back on the right path and continues his war, continues his stance against Sancheirev. All right, two important points as far as what actually happened is concerned. The Gemara tells us that Shevna one day decides that he's actually going to actually leave the city of Yerushalayim and approach Sancheirev. So he gathers his men and he walks out of the city of Yerushalayim in an effort to go and make peace with Sancheirev. A malach came, says the Gemara, and slammed the doors of Yerushalayim, slammed the gates of Yerushalayim right behind Shevna. So all the men were stuck inside. Shevna was stuck outside, and he came to Sancheirev alone. And when he introduces himself and says to Sancheirev, I am Shevna, I'm the one who makes, wants to make peace with you. Sancheirev says to him, where are your men? Where are your people? Ah, Shevna looks around, nobody's with him. He says they chickened out. Sancheirev actually killed Shevna, brutally. And that was, at least as far as that's concerned, that was the end of Shevna. As far as Sancheirev and his men are concerned, the Gemara says very famously that on the night of Pesach, Leil Shimurim, um, the entire army of Sancheirev is wiped out. They die in their sleep. The next morning when Sancheirev wakes up, his entire army is dead. And the Jewish people were saved. Okay. Based on this, it's understood that when we read back in the Gomorrah and Gittin about what happened at the times of the second Beis HaMikdash, and we read that there were these biryoni, there were these thugs who wanted to fight with the Romans. They didn't want to give in. And it was the Chachomim of the time who said, no, we cannot fight. We have to give in. 
we can now understand that the Biryoni, from their perspective, they feel there's precedent to this discussion. The Biryoni are looking at the Chachamim and saying, we don't understand. Just a couple of hundred years ago, the Jewish people had the same argument with Sancheirev. Shevno said, let's give in. And Chizkiyo said, let's fight. And Chizkiyo was the tzaddik. And in the end, Sancheirev and his entire army is wiped out. No, say the Biryoni. Why do you think it's different now? Now we should fight as well. The Chachamim said no. That was then and this is now. Chizkiyo was told by Yeshaya Novi not to give in and so he didn't and that was the right thing. And the Beis HaMikdash was not destroyed at that time. Sancheirev's efforts failed. But now, said the Chachamim in the times of the second Beis HaMikdash, the time Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, now is different. Now we should not fight. The Bryoni said, who are you to say differently? The Rabbi Yishlein told Chizkiyo, don't give in. Chachamim said, now is different. And in the end, so powerfully did the Chachamim feel that there was no point in trying to resist. That even when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had his moment in the presence of Vespasian, Vespasian literally said to him, you can ask me for whatever you want. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai does not ask for the Beis HaMikdash to be saved or for the Jews not to be sent into Golis. He asks for Yeshivas Yavne Vachachameho, the family of Rabbi Gamliel, and a doctor to heal Rabbi Tzadok. All right. Perhaps the most famous in all of the Gemaras, the most famous story about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is the story the Gemara tells in Masech de Brachas, Tavchov Chesam et Beis, about the final moments of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's life. The Gemara says, Rabbi, the, the Medrash says, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai lived till 120. As Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is about to close his eyes and return his soul to our Father in Heaven, Says the Gemara, the students who are standing around observe that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is crying. The students implore their Rebbe, their teacher. Rebbe, they say to him, why are you crying? And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said those famous words. Says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. There are two paths before me. One leads me to Gan Eden, and one leads me to Gehenim. And I do not know which path I am being led. We should not cry. How can I not cry, says Rabbi Yochem and Zakkai, when I'm literally about to pass? There are two pathways in front of me, and I don't know where I'm going. All right, the students ask him for a bracha. Rabbi Yochanan Mazakai blesses them that the fear of heaven should be upon them like the fear of a human being. Students are disappointed by the bracha. They say, Rebbe, that's it. Rabbi Yochanan Mazakai says, when a man sins, all he ever asks is that he doesn't get caught. If he knows he's going to get caught, he won't do it. I bless you that you should fear God as much as you fear a human being. And everybody stops quoting the story there. The obvious, obvious difficulty in this story is how could Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai possibly say at the moment of passing 
that he did not know if he was going to Ganeiden or Gehenna? Did his students none did his students not say, Rebbe, you're 120 years old, you've taught Torah your whole life, you're you're you know my Merkava, you you you're the greatest of the great, the, the the leader of the Jewish people at the time. His students don't offer to reassure him. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is, is, is crying now if he's going to Ganeiden or Gehenim. The Gomorrah doesn't even seem to resolve it one way or the other. It just seems like he passes without knowing which way he's going. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai isn't playing games. He's not, he's not joking around with us. He's, he's, he's not pretending to be humble when he isn't. If he says he doesn't know where he's going, it means he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know if he's going to Ganeiden or Rahman al-Islam, the opposite. How could Rabbi Yochem ben Zakkai not know? And why doesn't the Gemara conclude with reassuring us that Rabbi Yochem ben Zakkai does go to, does go to Ganeiden? Of course Rabbi Yochem ben Zakkai goes to Ganeiden. The Gemara doesn't say one way or the other. At least this is the way it seems. Until, of course, you read the final words of the story. I'll read it in the Gemara's words and I'll translate. B'Shas Petirosoi concludes the Gemara as Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai actually passed as his soul left his body. Omar Lami told, told his students, Panu Kelim Mipnei Hatuma. Remove the vessels from the home so nothing becomes defiled with the tumma, with the, with the impurity of a, of a Jew who's deceased in the home. Listen to these words. As he's closing his eyes, prepare a chair. Chizkiyohu, the king of Yehuda, has arrived. And there the Gemara ends the story. Two dots. The Gemara, the Mishnah goes on. The next Mishnah goes on to talk about the laws of Davening Shemona Esrei. Wait a second, wait a second. What's Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda doing here in the story? We're talking about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's passing moments. He's crying, he doesn't know if he's going to Ganeiden or Gehenim. And as he's actually passing, he says, remove the kalim ipnei atuma, right, that also needs to be understood. Why is that so important? But be it as it may, remove the kalim, and the last words, prepare a throne, says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda has just arrived. End of story. Ah, say the commentaries. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was a direct descendant of Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda. It's common, Loyaleno, people who have near-death experiences talk about this. It's common that as a person is about to pass from this world, they have visions of their ancestors coming to escort them to the next world. He sees Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda, his elder Zayda. His elder Zayda, Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda was a king. Prepare a chair, prepare a throne, says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. The king has arrived. No, say the commentaries. It's much, much deeper than that. Why is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai crying at the moment of passing, saying he doesn't know which path he's being led upon? Perhaps until his dying moment, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was never given the reassurance, he was never told one way or the other, that I make the right decision or not. When I stared Jewish history in the face, when I stared 2,000 years of gullus and torture for the Jewish people in the evil eyes of Vespasian, when I, stored, when I stared Titus, <coughs> the one who sent Titus as an ambassador, when I stared him in the face and he told me, ask me for anything, I'll give it to you. And I decided at the time to let the Beis HaMikdash go and to let the Jewish people go and to let the gullus begin. 
because I felt we couldn't get more than that. Did I do the right thing or did I do the wrong thing? Rabbi Akiva said, the only explanation for this is insanity. Rabbi Yochanan felt he had no choice. Cries Rabbi Yochanan on his deathbed, Which path did I set the Jewish people, the, the Jewish history on? The path of Gan Eden or Rahman Litzlan, the opposite? I don't know. If I made the right decision, says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, I'm responsible for the salvation of the Jewish people. If I made the wrong decision, I'm responsible for its destruction. Even among the Chachamim, even Rabbi Akiva, disagreed with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decision. And as he's passing, says Rabbi Yochanan, Chizkiyohu Melech Yehuda arrived. Chizkiyohu Melech Yehuda, his great-grandfather, the icon of resistance, the one who fought against Sancheirev and merited to see the destruction of the entire army of the, en of the enemy of the Jewish people. 185,000 soldiers. Dead on Lel Shimurim. Chizkiyohu Melech Yehuda comes to escort him. What does that mean? Chizkiyohu Melech Yehuda came to take Rabbi Yochanan to Gan Eden and to reassure him that although in Chizkiyohu's time the decision to fight the decision to resist, that was the, the will of Hashem. In Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's times, what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had done, that was the will of Hashem. And so he came to reassure Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and take him to Gan Eden, that what he had done, in fact, he had served as the leader, as the Rebbe of Klal Yisrael. He had served as a vehicle to, to facilitate the will of Hashem and to do what it is that Hashem wanted from him at the time. I want to add very humbly an observation to this Tvar Torah. I'll tell you what it is. You know, these weeks during the summer, we study every Shabbos Pirkeyovis. Pirkeyovis is, the, as Pirkeyovis itself says, it's the Masoira, it's the tradition going from the Rabbeinu Shloilam and Har Sinai to Moshe Rabbeinu to Yeshua and the Zikainim and the Nevi'im, all the way through all the Chachamim, and it tells us what all of the Chachamim taught us. Every Mishnah in Pirkeyovis is filled with divine, godly wisdom that teachers would teach their students. And there's one place in all of Pirkeovis where the teacher turns into the students, the teacher turns into the student, and the students turn into the teacher. And sure enough, it's Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Chamisha Talmidim Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, says the Mishnah. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had five students, and he sat and he would praise each one of them. Talk about their virtues and their values. And when he had finished, he turned to his five students and he says, I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me, what is, quote, the path, that a, the good path, the facilitate, the, the, the healthy, spiritual, and physical, and, and, and divine path that a person should pursue? What is it? And he asks his students to determine the path. And then sits and dissects and discusses the virtues of this, uh, the, uh, the responses that the students give to him and tells, him which one, tells them which one is the best and tells them to take a path of one of his students. Now imagine you're a student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai starts asking you a question. What would you say? You would say, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, I wasn't there, but I can imagine. Rabbi Yochanan ben, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, 
You're asking us. We're your students. We're thirsty for your wisdom. Teach us. We'll treasure and remember your words forever. No, says Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai. It's time for me to ask you, my own students. And they respond. And I believe the deeper significance of that, similar to what we're learning here, is that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai understood that he was living through a time of great change. The Jewish people were going to go into Golos and they would have to reinvent themselves completely. The Jewish people as a nation, as a people, were going to go through a complete identity shift in ways that was impossible to, 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 to understand before it happened. They would go from a people who were centered around one physical location, around the base of Mikdash, a Mishkan that had basically been with them since Moshe Rabbeinu. Even 70 years in between the two Beis Amikdashes, the Jewish people knew they were going right back. They were going into an era where there would be no Beis Amikdash and no Golos and no end Rahman Litzlan in sight. They would, be, they would be forced to stay there till Rahman Litzlan, till the year 5783. May the Beis Amikdash be speedily rebuilt. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai turned to his students and says, I'm going to give you the Messiah, but you're going to have to redefine it. You're going to have to re-explain it and repackage it to a generation and a, and a generation after that who will not know of a Beis HaMikdash, who will never have seen it. So therefore you tell me, says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, you the students are going to have to choose a path. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai understood that the Jewish people would survive the destruction. They would, they would be able to emerge on the other side. And although superficially different, inherently they would be the same B'nai Avram, Yitzchak, V'yakov, the same chosen people of Hashem, who would learn to function and thrive in completely different circumstances. It would be the same product in different, package, in different packaging. The other Chachomim said, what is Rabbi Yochem and Zakkai talking about? If there's a chance to save the Beis Amikdash, if there's a chance to hold on to the past, let's hold on to it with everything that we have. Let's tell the stories. Let's, let's, let's learn from our teachers and, and never forget what we've learned. Yes, says Rabbi Yochem and Zakkai. All of that is true, but not enough. The Jews will have to learn to thrive and produce in a completely new and different environment. And so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who is escorted to Gan Eden by Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda, becomes the icon of the one who in the, in the darkest and most difficult and painful of moments sees not just the destruction, sees not just a question of whether or not we're going to be able to avoid the destruction. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai can see past the destruction. He can see a yeshiva that will thrive, learning Torah that will thrive, the, fam excuse me, the family of Ram Gamliel, the descendants of David HaMelech, who will eventually give us Mashiach and build for us the third Beis HaMikdosh. And so he sets into motion, he plants the seeds in front of Vespasian for the Jewish, and, in, and with his students for the Jewish people to thrive in the next circumstance and situation. It reminds me, you know, in the beginning of Parshas told us, the Pasuk says, Ve'ela told us Yitzchak ben Avram, Avram hoyled des Yitzchak. Yitzchak, the son of Avram, Avram gave birth to Yitzchak, 
And Rashi quotes from the Medrash very famously, Yitzchak ben Avram means that Yitzchak walked around telling the world how proud he was they had, they had a father Avram Avinu. And Avram Avinu walked around telling the world how proud he was that he had a son called Yitzchak. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe once commented, he said, this is not semantics. This is not, you know, father is, son is excited about his father, father is excited about his son. He said, these are two perspectives that Jewish people will have in history. Yitzchak ben Avram is when a Jew looks into the rear view of history and says, look at this, we had such a glorious past. My father, my Zayda, my elder Zayda, they were such truly G'dayla Yisrael. The people, we, the, the Jews before the war, the last century, I mean, you're talking about real Jews of quality. Today, we're nothing compared to them. True. That's one perspective. That's one side of the coin. That's Yitzchak ben Avram. But then there is Avram but then there is Avram which means that every Jew, every Avram, has got to plant the seeds for the next generation for Yitzchak, has got to be proud of their students, Hamisha Talmidim, and has got to invest themselves with everything they have, as Rabbi Yochem and Zakai did, in ensuring a Jewish tomorrow. Okay. I think there are a few important takeaways from this. Number one, the obvious. The obvious takeaway from this is, number one, there's a time for everything. There's a time to fight. There's a time to make peace. There's a time to resist. There's a time to resign. There's a time to hold on. And there's a time to let go. Chizkiyo was a time to fight. Rabbi Yechon ben Zakkai was a time to take whatever you can. It's obvious lesson number one. Number two, the Rabbeinu Shalom will give every leader, every leader who truly wants to fulfill the will of Hashem, the Rabbeinu Shalom will put into the mind of that leader what it is that that leader needs to do and say at that time. Rabbi Yechon ben Zakkai had that moment in front of Aspasian where he got what he could have gotten. He did what he could have done. And in that sense, did his best for Klal Yisrael to ensure that they would have a better tomorrow. Lesson number three. It's not enough to just look in the, into the past. We have to concentrate on the future. It's not enough to say, we had a glorious past, we had a great base on Mikdash. It's true, not enough. We have to daven and beg and plead for a brighter and future, to, better, better and brighter tomorrow. And number four, I think the most important lesson of them all, which is, Gam even when a Jew finds themselves in the darkest of places and times. Think about Rabbi Yechonon ben Zakkai, stand, I cannot get over this, standing in front of the devil himself, Vespasian. He walked into the darkest place on earth with two open eyes. At a time where even in Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai's opinion, it was hopeless. There was no point in even asking for the savior of the base of Mikdash. Not only would, it, would his request not have been granted, he would have lost the opportunity for anything else. Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai could have said, this is the darkest time and that's the darkest place in the world. Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai walked in there with everything he had. He had to pretend he was dead to be carried out of the city of Yerushalayim in order to get there, risking his life. And as he did, he knew that all he could do 
was plant a seed. And as he planted that seed and asked for a yeshiva, a doctor, and the salvation of a family, he planted the seed for the Jewish, for the next generation, for the Jewish people's salvation. So to this day, we still have those things that Rabbi Yochanan left us, Yavne v'chachameha, learning Torah and its chachamim. The family of Ram Gamliel, the descendants of David HaMelech, from whom, please God, will come Mashiach. And healing and salvation for the Jewish people, even in their darkest of moments. As we commemorate, as we encounter this day of Tisha B'av, the Gemara calls it Bechiel Adairus for generation, a day set aside for tears and mourning. Let's remember the example of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, which is that even in the darkest of moments, a Jew always looks forward to the future. Tisha B'av is not just a day where we commemorate the destruction of the past. It's a day, in the words of the Gemara, when Mashiach is born. The birth of Mashiach takes place on Tisha B'av. It's a, it's a day where every Jew remembers that even in the darkest and most difficult and painful of moments, perhaps Badavka, specifically in the darkest and, and, and most painful of moments, that's where the seeds of Geula are planted. Please God, may it materialize speedily in our days with the coming of Mashiach. Amen.